0: All right, Colossians 2. I'll, uh, I'll begin reading in verse 14 and, and uh, read to the end of the chapter. 14 begins He erased, speaking of Christ, he erased the certificate of debt. With his obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of their unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, grows with growth from God. If you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish, By being used up, they are human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom, by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. So again, Paul continues here to write, talking about what's been accomplished for us in Christ. Uh, He's emphasizing again this union we have with Christ, this relationship, this day-by-day abiding, that we have with Christ and and what that means, what that means in realistic terms for us, how, that, how it's to be lived out. Uh, and he wants to emphasize the real changes that not only are taking place in them, but the changes that are expected of them as believers. So verse 15, he's talking about basically spiritual powers. So when I say spiritual powers, and we're talking about spiritual powers, don't think of that as somehow only being Demons. The, the, the entire world we live in, the sphere of our, of our culture, is very anti-God. So there's, there is a spiritual battle that takes place every day. Um, you have unbelieving friends, unbelieving acquaintances, unbelieving family members who off and on are trying to sway you to go in a different direction. Uh, they, they don't want you to be as committed. They're, it's not like they've, they don't wake up tomorrow and say, you know... I think I want Tom to be less of a Christian. That's not, what, that's not what's going on. This is just a natural thing, all right? You're trying to do what's right, and, and they believe they know what's right. You've gone overboard, um, and they, they, they don't want anything to do with that. Um, I think I've told this story before. I remember one time when I was a kid, uh, my mom's sister and her husband, uh, they, uh, they came down to see us. We lived in Virginia for a few years uh, in between living in Hawaii. And my, uh, so my uncle, Tom, he was, uh, he was Catholic. So I remember they came in, I'm not Friday or Saturday, it doesn't matter. All I know that, that uh, I woke up Sunday morning, got ready for church like we normally did, and I remember hearing my uncle and my dad in the kitchen having a, a discussion where they're, you know, they're kind of whispering but not whispering, and Uncle Tom wasn't happy. And so the part that I heard was he basically said, I can't believe that we have driven all the way down here to see you and your family and you're going to church and he said you could at least show us some courtesy by spending more time with us of course my dad said you are invited to come with us to church but the Lord is more important than you and anyone else And we're going to go and worship today and uh, celebrate our Lord's resurrection. It wasn't Easter, but celebrate our Lord's resurrection with fellow believers. And we'll have lunch together when we come home and be together the rest of the day. My uncle was not happy. But in his mind, he really believed that my dad was being ridiculous. And he believed that his request was not ridiculous and that if my dad had any common decency, he would then basically give in to what he was saying. In his mind, it made all the sense in the world. To my dad, it made no sense because we're loyal to Christ first. So, those, so there may be those kinds of things that will happen in your family, sometimes worse, maybe sometimes not as much. But we need to recognize that. It's going to happen. And so because there's a lot of things that are just kind of naturally set against us, we need to realize that we no longer are in a position where we have to give in to that. We actually have the strength of Christ, because Christ dwells in us, to resist that. We actually have that ability. Um, that's that's been given to us by God. God strengthens us to do that, as well as commands us to do that. So it's two things. And that's if you go back and you read through Romans, one of the one of the points Paul makes in the book of Romans is that. The law is righteous, but the law is weak. And the reason why is the law is righteous because it reveals to us the righteous demands of God. But it's weak because it cannot help you to obey. There's no help there. Obey, you're blessed. Disobey, you're cursed. That's it. We follow what we would call the law of Christ, these expectations that God has for us. But the difference is, is God does expect us to pursue righteousness. But God also equips us to be able to pursue righteousness. By And, and this is where what we're, we're beginning today. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in vain. So he's using military terms, but the idea is, is that whatever... Power of darkness is out there. there you know, sin is strong. Temptation is strong. We should never even imagine for a moment that we are stronger than temptation or we're stronger than sin. All right? we, you know, we depend upon Christ to overcome. Christ is overcome. We depend upon him to overcome sin and temptation. So he wants us to understand that it's been disarmed. So even though sometimes you can feel overwhelmed, you're not really overwhelmed when it comes to temptation. We have to believe that. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 13. There's no temptation that is overtaking you that is not common to man. And God will provide a way of escape. That is a a verse that is promising to you and me God's intimate interaction daily with you and me. God is so sovereign in your life, He will make sure that there would never be any kind of temptation that you actually, that it will actually overwhelm you and you have to give in. Now again, it doesn't mean it won't feel overwhelming, right? but our feelings can very, be very misleading. The bottom line is God has promised that. I mean, if you think about it, just for a few moments, to me, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So that means, no matter how much trouble I have in my marriage, I don't have any, but if I did, no matter how much trouble I have in my marriage, no matter how long that's been going on, if some beautiful woman walks up to me wants to seduce me, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what's going on, I don't have to give in to that. Period. The way it is now, I'd be overwhelmed with guilt just talking to her, which is a gift from God, or I take a step back and say, you know, you should come to my church on Sunday. <laughs> you know, whatever it happens to be. But the point is, is that I, even though the flesh is weak, God will never abandon me. And God has guaranteed me that if I truly could not resist that temptation, it would have never happened. So kind of like, I don't know if The Matrix would be a good example. I, I don't, you know, I know the, I've seen the movie once. But it's kind of like this idea that, you know, there are certain possible futures, if you want to get into all that kind of stuff. And in the one possible future where I give in, God makes sure that that, doesn't ha- that can't happen. So if I give in, it's what? It's all my fault. That's what we have to re- realize. It's all my fault. And Romans makes that really clear. That as believers, all right, when we sin, we always sin willfully. I really don't like that, just so you know. that I hate that. Because it makes me completely responsible. And like most other human beings, I really want someone else to blame. At least partly, right? We all feel better if it's someone else's fault. Remember, your kids do that, right? Why'd you do that? Well, but Tommy was telling me to do it, you know? (laughs) So what, you know? You, of course, you've always heard the phrase, you know, when someone says their friends do such and such and your parents say, so if they jump off a bridge, you're going to jump off a bridge, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, the whole idea is, is that you don't have to give in. But as believers, we truly don't. Um, and so we, need, so we need to remind ourselves of that. And just so you know that, that as, I'm, you know, whenever I'm, as I live my life every day, depending on whatever comes up, there are times when certain things, certain Bible verses immediately come flooding to my mind. Because I, because I know the truth of the word of God. And I really do want to live by it. I really do. I don't want to, I don't want to fail in, in, uh, fail God. I don't want to fail my family. So whatever the situation is, you know, those things come flooding in. And they actually, it's helpful. It's helpful to know or to be reminded of the truth. So I don't have to, you know, we don't have to give in to these things. So again, we're reminded here by Paul that Christ has achieved complete victory. He has subdued his enemies Satan, his demons, they no longer have authority over a believer, uh, and we might if you want to, we can say it this way, that Satan and, and his demons have no authority over believers who are walking in the light, and walking in the light is nothing more than living in obedience to the Bible. It's, that, it's, that, it's a simple thing. It's hard to do now, but it, it's a simple formula, all right? There's no special thing you have to achieve as individuals. So, again, rulers, authorities, all that's been used by Paul before. It talks about an angelic hierarchy. Um, yes, there probably is an angelic hierarchy and a demonic hierarchy. Um, what it really is in detail, I don't really know. There's speculation about what it's like. It doesn't really matter. you know, Because people would get into it. You, know, you, could write, you can read books on demonology if you want. A lot of them aren't really any good because they don't really depend upon the Bible. But the idea is, oh yeah, there's these demons and they have rankings and You know there are certain demons that are assigned to America and certain demons that are assigned to here and you know there may be certain demons assigned to you to do this I don't I just don't know if that's true or not And it doesn't really matter because Christ has overcome that period that's it they don't have any special power over you but it's like anything else you give in you're in trouble all right just you know like so if you give in and you go start dabbling in voodoo Whatever happens happens to you. That's your fault, all right. Because you shouldn't be doing that, all right. But again, these things can't come upon you. Uh, I think it was it was back in the uh, I don't know if it was the '90s. I'm not sure when he wrote them. Uh, there's a guy named Frank Peretti. He wrote some books. There were novels. They're really horrible and cheesy. But uh, he wrote some novels on demonic activity, and so in there, there's a, there's actually many people who believe that what he wrote is gospel truth and so their their demonology or their understanding of how demons work comes from a novel. And so I think in one of the books, you know, like he talks about people walking into a church and there's a demon up hiding behind the steeple watching the people. I, I don't know if he's going to pounce on them. I don't know what's going to happen, but anyway, that's probably not happening and if it does, I'm like, "Eh, yeah, whatever." <laughs> Just there's nothing they can't they can't they you know, if they're there they can't do anything to you. All right, so all that kind of stuff really can inflame the imagination, but there's just not much to worry about. There really isn't. If you're walking with the Lord, you, just, you don't have to worry. All right, so you don't have to be afraid of, you know, because there are some people who get really spooky about things. Um, I used to take advantage of that when I was a teenager. People would get spooky. they get spooky. I mean, if I, if I heard that they, they were afraid of demons and ghosts, man, I'd really do stuff to freak them out. I don't do that anymore. I've, I've matured. But the idea is, is that we don't have to be afraid, and so we can really live in a way that pleases the Lord, and that's what's important. If you would, uh, let me see if I, I don't know if I have it yet. Uh, Yeah, I think I have these, I think I have these in your notes. Um, Do I have, do I have Genesis there in your notes? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Basically, the idea is that the disarming of rulers and principalities um, uh, is uh, predicted. Did all the notes get handed out? Oh, no. I don't always remember what's in there. Uh, no, I don't have it in there, but anyway. Okay, we'll get to the passage in John in a minute. So Genesis chapter 3 basically says this. It's a very familiar verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So basically, it's a prophecy concerning Christ and he's going to basically overcome Satan and it's going to happen at uh, the uh, at the crucifixion. So I do have this in your notes, John chapter 12, verse 31 and 32, where it says, now judgment is upon this world. So then I have in parentheses, sentence is now being passed on this present world in darkness. Because that the word judgment, uh, that in, in the... Um, Greek tense of the verb that's what's being emphasized that this is now passed on this present evil of the world so now judgment is upon this world now the ruler of this world shall be cast out and if I and I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men to myself so when the Bible speaks of what Christ is on the crucifixion it normally speaks of these things in like in the past tense or in a present tense with ongoing uh, consequences or ongoing benefits And it's trying to emphasize this once-for-all thing that Christ has accomplished for us. So it's not like we believe in Christ and then we hope that he'll be there to help us kind of overcome these things in our life. No, they've been defeated. Christ now lives in you. Our weakness is because of the flesh. And that's enough problems that we have. But we don't have these things from the outside that are stronger than us because the Bible says what? Stronger is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So that's why, again, we depend upon each other. We don't depend upon the flesh. One of the main ways that we depend upon each other and upon the Holy Spirit is we gather together as believers to worship God. That That is encouraging to us and that strengthens us. Then as we read the Bible, as we pray, um, as we pray for others, as others pray for us, all those things uh, God uses to help us, to strengthen us, to overcome the world, and to be able to walk and pursue in righteousness. Even when we sin, we know that I'm not going to be cast out by God. And there's even several ways we need to do it with my sin. We confess to God. We sometimes will confess to others. We always confess to others if we sin against them. But sometimes if we're struggling in certain areas, we can confess to maybe a strong brother or sister uh, who will pray for us and maybe even hold us accountable because they want the same thing for us we want. We want to overcome sin. We want to please the Lord. And if we think about it, we do want our joy to increase. And so I know that if I, if I pursue God and His righteousness... I don't allow sin to overcome me in my life, I will have greater joy. I may not always have happiness every single moment of the day, that's not going to happen. But I'm going to have that deep sense of joy and commitment. And so sin plays a big part in ruining that. And so he wants us to think differently. Because that does make a difference in our life, and the way that we approach life. That's why I tell people sometimes, you know, as a Christian, it's not a sin to be positive, you know. You can have bad things in your life, but it's not a sin to be positive. It doesn't mean you're denying anything, all right? You're not in denial. You're not pretending that life isn't bad. Life sometimes throws a curveball, sometimes several in a row. But the bottom line is, is that, and, and we feel sad and we feel, there's all kinds of things that we can experience. I'm not denying any of that. But even in the midst of that, we can have peace and contentment. So we're not overwhelmed by these things. And so there's no despair, there's no, I'm just so exhausted, and we give in to sin, or we give in, to, you don't have to do that. We don't. But that's also why we also need to be aware of each other as believers, so we can pray for each other and help each other. Sometimes if somebody, if you know someone well and they look down, it is good for you to ask them if everything's okay. Now, they still may, they might lie to you, but you still want to ask them. And if they don't even tell you the truth, you can say, Lord, I was talking to, I was talking to Lance today, Lord, ask me if everything's okay, and I don't believe him he said everything was fine. And I don't know what's going on, but Lord, I want you to encourage him. You can pray that for each other, and we should do that. Or or be ready for this. You know I say, "Lance, everything going okay?" "Well, brother." And then here it comes. <laughs> you know, a list of some things and you know what? Maybe it's a bunch of petty things and they're just building up and he's just tired, or what may happen is you find out there's some real serious things he's dealing with. And so we can let him, just sometimes, because I know this happens, believers have told me this, sometimes when they have a chance to tell you what's going on, and sometimes you can feel like bad because you're always wondering, what am I supposed to do? Well, you're not supposed to fix it. You may not be able to. What you can say is, man, I didn't know that you were going through all that. That is really hard. I'm, I'm gonna make sure I pray for you every day the rest of this week. That's encouraging. Remember, sometimes we, we can have the wrong attitude about prayer, like we're not really doing much. I just wish I could do more, and all I can do is pray. Think about that for a minute. There's nothing that I, as a finite weak being, can do. So all I can do is pray to the creator of the universe to help you. Uh, i think we've got it wrong in our attitude that that's a great thing that we can do the creator of the universe is going to be able to move mountains to be able to help you and it makes a difference in our lives so these truths that he's covering are really very important for us to to think about uh you know to meditate on them for a while remember christian meditation is not emptying your mind that's eastern meditation Meditation is thinking about whether it's a verse or a chapter and you think about it over and over. Just, you just kind of mull it over uh, in your mind. So if you want to make sure you remember what that, what that is, think about meditation. Christian meditation is like a cow. A cow has five stomachs. You know what chewing the cud is? Mm-hmm. Does everybody know what chewing the cud is? No, I don't. Chewing the cud is after a cow eats and he swallows the food, Later on, he upchucks. Yep. But he doesn't spit it out. He holds it in his mouth and he chews it up again, then he swallows it. A couple of things about that. I'm really glad that God didn't make us that way. <laughs> Can you imagine your first date with the woman you want to marry? And you had a nice big steak dinner? And you're on the beach talking, and all of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> and you start talking. I, <laughs> Maybe. Somehow ladies would do it differently. But anyway, But, but anyway. so the idea of chewing the cud is, is, is you, re, you, re, you, know, you, you chew on what you've already half digested, then you swallow it again. So that's kind of the idea, is we think about what it is something may, you may have read that morning, maybe something that was covered in on Sunday, whether it was in Sunday school or church, whatever it happens to be. you Just think about it. Just, let, just kind of mull it over in your mind, and it, it just kind of saturate it for a while. And uh it's it's a good thing. Did you have your hand up or no? Yes. yes. I was
1: wondering are the demons
0: the fallen angels. They're fallen, yeah, demons are fallen angels, yes. Yeah, you guys do know. Fallen angels and demons, same thing. There's no such thing as ghost. You know that, right? No such thing as ghost. So whenever anybody <laughs> says they're talking to the dead, they're not. They they might be talking now, if someone's answering back, it may be it's probably a demon. Right. But <laughs> I told that to one person one time, they said, Oh, you know my uh, my uncle. He practices this and da da da. And he, you know he's talking to his his dead, his dead 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 uncle or whatever. I said no. I said no. He wasn't doing that. He goes really. I said yeah. You, you can't talk to the dead. He was talking to us. Ah, some demon. And then <laughs> he goes what? <laughs> I said if somebody was really answering, that's who it is. All right. So uh, you know that can happen. It doesn't happen all that often here. It can happen. But again, if you're not messing with that kind of stuff, you got nothing to worry about. Okay. It's just not a you know. We just have to, you know, it's not like Satan is nothing. We don't want to ever think that, okay? Satan's a real person. He does have power, but you don't have to be afraid of him because we know Christ. Is he omnipresent? No, he's not omnipresent. He's a creative being. Yeah, that's what we have to remind ourselves. Now, I don't know if Satan can do the Star Trek thing where he can be here and then boom, next moment he's like in India. But all I know is he can only be in one place at one time. So he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient, okay? His knowledge is limited. He does know human beings very well. He's been around for a while. He's been around people. Okay? But he's not omniscient. He's clearly not omnipotent. You know, he does have power, but there's his power, whatever range his powers are, they're limited. And he, and when we read Job, one of the things we learn from Job, uh, and it's mentioned elsewhere, is that Satan can only do whatever God allows him to do. So if there's a, okay, God is the one that can put a limit on whatever he's doing. So... Um, we don't have to worry about those types of things um, with that yes. okay yes, yes sir uh, I, know, I know the points you're making I got an argument with it. but when you said the law was weak uh, yes that's what the Bible says so yeah It is perfect, but the, Romans does say that the law is weak. Because obeying the law cannot save you. Right? So the law, and, the law, and the law cannot produce in you righteousness. God produces righteousness within us. So again, the law is righteous. The law is good. But the law does not have, the, does not have strength to accomplish those things because of who we are. So, yes, we're weak, but the law, so when I say the law is weak, that's just a fact. It, 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 it only serves us, it serves a purpose, and it fulfills that purpose, but it can't do something it's not designed to do. And it's not designed to save us. Right, but it's perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. So, when it comes to spiritual warfare, uh, spiritual warfare is a real thing. Uh, there's a lot of bad information out there about it. We're not going to go into a lot of great detail about it. Let me just tell you that when people talk about, like, for example, let's say that there's a, a group and they want people to come down to uh, the, maybe a part of the inner city of, of Savannah and they say, we're going to engage in spiritual warfare and we're going to walk around this block and we're going to pray because they sell a lot of drugs on that street. Okay, there's nothing wrong with going down there and praying. Walk around the block. If you want to do that, you can do that. Walking around the block doesn't do anything. Okay, Spiritual warfare, we engage in that all the time. And the main way, or some of the main ways we engage in spiritual warfare, is not by running out to find the enemy and engage the enemy. It's not what we're told to do. right? Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us to stand firm. So I have in your notes there, stand firm uh, in Ephesians 6 is what they call the errorless imperative. It means do this now don't delay. The need is urgent, for the enemy's fiery missiles are flying all about us, continually aimed at their target, which is our mind. So, Ephesians six thirteen to 14 says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So, the main way that we engage in Spiritual warfare is by standing firm, standing on the word of God, uh, and depending upon God, and that's, that's how we move forward and live the life that God's called us to live. So we don't have to run around and look for things to do and you know, walk around the block and do all these different kinds of things that people want to do. I'm, again, I'm not saying that's necessarily bad, um, but sometimes what happens, and maybe it's a lot, sometimes when people do those things, you'll hear people when they start to pray, they'll start saying things like, you know, I bind Satan from doing this and doing that. And you know, my thought is well, so if you bind Satan, clearly someone's gonna let him go because the bad things are gonna happen again tonight. What are you, what are you doing when you, when you bind Satan? It's not a biblical thing, right? That's not, that's, that's, we're not called to do that. We can't do that, we can't bind Satan. Um, you know, that's just, there's all this bad theology and people get the, a wrong idea and we can put ourselves in a bad situation. Um, so what we need to do as Christians is live according to what the Bible says. So that doesn't mean that you avoid your friends that are unbelievers. You, you do need to engage in conversations with them. Uh, but we're not going out looking for necessarily dark spiritual battles to try to engage in. Um, there's no, we're not called to do that. That's not, you know, and remember, the power of God is the gospel. It's not us being brave. It's not us yelling. It's none of those kind of things. It's the gospel of God. That's the power of God to salvation. And that's the message that we want to bring to other people and share with them. Uh, And we want to make sure we're living in light of that. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, that means to make of no effect or bring to naught, him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those, Deliver means to release or rescue from. It means to set free from. That he might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So I guess a simple way to kind of illustrate that is sometimes people will say that the best way to manipulate or to force people to do certain things is to (coughs) threaten their lives. Because everybody has a fear of death. Believers are not supposed to be afraid of death. It doesn't mean that we're volunteering to die. It doesn't mean we want to die, but we're not afraid of death. You hear this kind of thing a lot when you read stories from people who are being physically persecuted for being believers. It is not unusual that one of the threats against them is deny Christ or deny the Bible or spit on a Bible, uh, those kinds of things. And if you don't do that, we're going to kill you. And so the believers almost all of them that all the stories i've read the believers almost think that's humorous they go you send me to see my lord yeah <laughs> i'm not doing it of course those who are making the threats get upset because they don't want to kill you because they kill you there's nothing else they can do to you uh, but the idea is is that you cannot be forced to do that because we're not afraid of death we know what death is death is the door you walk through to be with the lord where you're in his physical presence all right, so again, it doesn't mean that you may not be apprehensive. We're not pretending that you're, going to be, that you're just going to be, oh, yeah, go ahead and kill me. doesn't mean you're going to, you're going to force them to do it. It's not, it doesn't mean all that. All right, but it does mean that even if you're kind of fearful, it's not going to be a kind of fear that overwhelms you and you give in because you're not really afraid. All right, you're not really afraid. In fact, some people have said the only thing they're really worried about is will it hurt? I'm not afraid to die, but will it hurt? You know, because we don't like pain, and I don't like pain. Uh, but that's what they're worried about. And so we as believers, that, that's the attitude that, that we should have with us. And so he tells us here that that's been taken away. The fear of death that the non-believer has has been taken away for the believer because of what Christ has come. He has overcome death. He rose from the dead. The Bible says he's the first fruits of more to come. You know what the more to come is? That's us. We'll be raised at the last day. That's a promise of God. God, by the way, has never broken a promise. Period. Everything he says is gonna happen is gonna happen. Everything he said would happen has happened. And his track record is perfect. And so again, this truth uh, is very enabling to us. I think I've told you before, because it's happened recently, it's not the only time it's happened, but I was still, I'm still amazed when I think about this. Um, about six months ago, maybe it was nine months ago, but there was a, a young uh, man who was, who was raised in a, in a Muslim country, I think it's, I don't know if it's Iraq or Afghanistan, doesn't matter. At fifteen, he became a believer, became a Christian. And what normally happens in those types of countries is if the family, especially the father, gets very upset, and it's a it's like a the family. The family feels a sense of shame if, if you've done this, and they want you to renounce that, and if you don't. They will, they'll torture you, and if you don't, they will kill you. And they believe that if they kill you, you know, it's a, in some places it's called an honor killing because they're preserving the honor of the family and their religion. Uh, in some places they believe, maybe you, they've been told by an imam that if they kill you, uh, perhaps Allah may still forgive them for that and, and they'll still find a way to get to heaven, whatever, however that looks. But the bottom line is, this young man—he's 15 years old. He's running away. His family's coming after him. He knows they're going to kill him, um, and he—he he hides with a couple of other extended family members and friends for a while uh, until they kind of get the word as to what's going on. He knows he's facing death. He doesn't renounce Christ. He's kidnapped by his brothers. They begin to torture him. He doesn't renounce Christ because he knows that Christ is the way. He's 15. He's been a Christian for three months. For three months. He's not afraid to die. That that is, that's supernatural. But that's what God does. And one of the things you need to remember is normally, normally God does not give you the strength you're going to need tomorrow, today. But he'll give it to you tomorrow. All right? So we can, so I may still feel apprehensive today. And I may be thinking, I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow because I know what's going to happen. I don't know. And Lord, I want you to, Lord, I need your help. I may, I may go to sleep or even not be unable to sleep because I'm so apprehensive. But at that moment, when they draw the sword or bring out the gun or whatever it happens to be, I will have the courage to not renounce Christ because God will supply me with what I need, period. He will. I've, and I've read hundreds of, literally hundreds of testimonies of not only people in church history, but in, in recent uh, arenas where there's a lot of persecution where people talk about the peace that God gave them. Of course, the ones who are talking about are those who, you know, the, the execution didn't come through, so they're able to talk about what they experienced at that moment. But they'll even talk about maybe some of their friends or family members that were with them that were killed, and they talk about, you know, that person is not, that, you know, they're not afraid. You know, they're, they're able to face that. And I just think it's amazing that this guy who's 15, he has no systematic theology, he knows very little about the Bible, uh, hasn't probably read much of any of it if ever but understands the gospel it's been saved by christ and there he is standing firm in the midst of that yes michael question, uh, mm-hmm. is oh yeah yeah this story is uh, of some of the early christians who um gave in uh during the um the time when the romans were feeding him to lions uh in fact there was a there was it wasn't a scandal but there was a debate in the church after the um persecutions calmed down as to whether or not they should allow those people to come back to church uh and of course there were those saying well they've been forgiven um and so that's that's not a sin there's no you know you're not gonna lose your salvation so and of course in some of those cases the individual may not have been saved but i don't think that's all of them but but i do know that it was a controversy uh and there were some who maybe faced persecution and didn't renounce Christ, or maybe they never had the face it; they weren't arrested, but because of the others who gave in, they had, they're they very cynical towards those people, and they don't want to let them back in the church. So that was kind of a, a thing for a while. So we have to be careful with that. It would be very easy for us, if there was a sudden breakout of real physical persecution, and let's say some people that we know in, in weakness gave in, um, It'd be hard for us not to be upset, especially if we have family members who didn't, you know, to look at them with maybe some disdain. You know, so we'll, you know, our obedience to Christ will really be tested. But if they, you know, if they've truly, you know, if they've, if, if they've uh, repented and they're true believers, then they're forgiven. And, you know, but I'm not saying it'd be easy. I think it will be extremely difficult uh, in some cases uh, to do that. But, Yes. So what that would mean then is, because we experience, this, we experience this in our Christian life now, it doesn't mean that God failed them and didn't provide them with the strength they needed. They just didn't, they just, they just didn't make use of it. They allowed, they gave in to their feelings or they gave in to the weakness of the flesh and they, they, they blew it that moment. So, yeah. So again, we know in the end God never fails. That we do know. Uh, but we do know that, as the Bible says, the flesh is weak. Uh, that's why we need to be careful that we never say certain things like, well, if that happened to me, I would never give in. Don't, don't say that. You can say, I hope that I would be faithful enough to God that I won't give in. You can say that. You can say, I believe that I, I, I don't think I would succumb, but it's very <coughs> difficult for us to know what it's like to be in someone's shoes when you're, when you're really facing death. And a lot of us, maybe all of us in here, none of us have actually faced that kind of situation where your life is literally, that person will, has no bones in taking your life. I mean, we've not been there. So we just have to be careful that we don't brag. That's kind of what that is uh, unnecessarily. But then at the same time, don't demean yourself and say, oh yeah, I could never, I could never do that, I would give in in a minute. You might be surprised. Yes?
1: Well you also don't know where they're at in life, maybe they're struggling spiritually, or oh, sure. in sin, yeah. or whatever the case may be, yep. when that happens, you never know
0: anything. Yeah, I agree, yep.
1: Pastor, yeah. Um When I used to work, there was this guy that was uh, going out with another woman, not his wife. Hmm. Yeah. He said that's a cop bomb.
0: Yeah. No, that's not a cop out. <laughs> not in the least. <laughs> uh, this is a famous quote. It actually came from a guy in the 1500s. I can't remember his name, uh, but he was he was watching some prisoners being taken from one place to another, and so he made he made the remark, uh, except for, except for the grace of God, there go I. And a lot of people have kind of quoted that. And there's a lot of truth to that. But even with that, we have to be careful that we don't use that in a false, pious way. All right? But we do have to realize there's truth in that. All right? Um, I used to think... I thought about this when I was a teenager. Um, I used to think that when when, when Jesus was on earth, I used to think these people who are watching Jesus do these miracles and all this, they're just idiots how can they just how can they not believe you know I was just I was baffled by that then as I continued to 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 grow older that became a little fearful and realized you know what I'm because people always say I wish I was around when Jesus was now that would be cool but normally what they would say is I wish I was around when Jesus was around because I would have never denied him I don't know all I know is that we're human beings and the majority of the human beings back then did what? Shattered for his crucifixion. I'm actually glad, to be honest, that I was not around then. Because I'm convinced I would be with the wrong group. I would like to think, oh yeah, I think for myself. and I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't think so. All right? I would, if that, that kind of individual is really very rare. All right? I think I have I have become that kind of person now. I think that there's a lot of situations I'd be able to resist not be, be a big deal, but I wasn't like this 25 years ago. I don't think, and 35 years ago, most definitely I, I would be in the wrong group. So Lord, thank you that I was born now and that you brought me to the place that I am now, uh, because even now if I was if I was raised maybe in a different home. I don't know if I would have come to Christ. I know that God's sovereign in my salvation. I'm so grateful for that. But as you look from a human perspective, I'm just not convinced that I would be, because the Bible says we're what? We're wicked. No one seeks after God. No one. That kind of means everyone. There's not, a, and I, and that, that should be terrifying. We are, you know, we can become people of very strong convictions. And, we, and I thank the Lord for that. And we want to become that but uh, we it's the rare guy that starts out that way it's the rare individual that starts out that way so we just need we need to be aware of our own weaknesses and again the truth of the bible that the flesh really is weak yes ma'am
1: so pastor can you dogmatically say that you would not
0: renounce christ if that were to happen no i can't i wish i could but i can't yeah none of us knows the future we have no idea what the circumstances will be. I'll tell you what a situation, <laughs> i tell you a situation that would be worse in a way. I, I think I'd be okay now. I don't know if I would have been this way 15 years ago. Uh, but sometimes a worse scenario would be, let's just say again there's persecution. And they have your family, and they basically say, you renounce Christ or I kill them. That's different. That's hard. That'd be really, really hard. Now, the good news is, in my family, everyone's a believer. And that does make a difference. Uh, I think it was about a, two years ago, um, uh, when we were, we, you know, we, we, we prayed f- specifically for the persecuted church, often in November, and there was a story about a Muslim family that they had become Christians. The mom, the dad became Christians, and they had two young children and in the story they were they talked about the fact that you know they they knew that their lives were always in danger again it was a family living i think in iraq and they knew that that they could die at any moment and they talked about in their talking to their children about this Their children had become believers the children were like 9 and 11 or something like that Um, and so they would have these discussions about one day, some men may come in the house with guns, and they're going to ask us to renounce Jesus, or they're going to kill us, and we can't do that. And uh, then they had to go further and say that they, they may ask us to renounce Jesus, or they're going to kill you, and we can't do that. Or they may put the gun in your chest and say, you need to renounce Christ, or they're going to kill your mom and dad. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a hard conversation to have with your kids. And on a reoccurring basis, so that they understand the reality of it. They, obviously, the kids could tell there was a reality because of where they were living. But again, a lot of times as human beings, we just think, well, that's just not gonna happen to us. We, maybe not so much there. I know we, we, we think that way here. But in the story, and I wish I could remember the whole the end of it, but I do know that the bad guys did show up one day, and they did grab the kids, and they grabbed the parents and they, I forget who all they were threatening, they ended up threatening I think everybody uh, and said so if you don't do such and such we're going to kill you and they, they killed the mom and dad and they took the kids and the kids were sent off I guess to live with another family, I'm not sure because I think if I remember correctly, if I'm not uh, convoluting two different stories the, the girl when she grew up she's uh, on a video giving her testimony and talked about When her parents were killed for being believers and she was spared she and her brother were spared uh and they were sent off to live with some other family and then eventually when they became uh older teenagers they they were able to escape uh, and they were kind of involved in trying to help you know get bibles back into iraq and different things they were doing that kind of thing so i know that i know the story is true this woman and this and her uh, and her brother Same thing happened to them. If it's the exact same people I don't know, but same idea, that that's what they had to face. And they actually went through that. And it's it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling. So again, like I said, it's very difficult for us to predict how we would do. Most of us know the way we would like to respond. What we do know is that God will supply us the strength that we need to endure that situation or to endure the pain. Seeing your parents killed, you know, that can really in our society we said it really messed you up psychologically. These people aren't messed up psychologically. They understand exactly what's going on. My parents were killed because they love Christ. Those individuals that killed them, uh, they they don't know God. Uh, and I hate what they did, but but they're lost and when they die, they're going to hell unless they come to Christ. They're not, you know, they sometimes have difficulty sleeping, but they're not terrorized by that. You know, so they're able so they have the same kinds of reactions. Other people would have to this traumatic situation where they're not on meds. Right? They can't afford them, it's not available. They depend on Christ and they're doing fine. In fact, they're working to smuggle Bibles back in and they're risking their life uh, in some situations to, to help others either to escape or to get the gospel in or whatever it may happen to be. Uh, so again, God will provide what we will need. And a large part of that process. Is you and I knowing and understanding the truth um, I do think for some maybe for many when you're in a country where that kind of persecution is taking place on a regular basis you know you do read the Bible differently you read it with more energy you read it with a greater sense of urgency the message is the same but there's a greater sense of urgency when, when you read what we're reading you know this is this is like you're hanging on every word because of the reality of what you're facing That doesn't mean that we're somehow, we're horrible people. Doesn't mean that. But the differences in circumstances, sometimes the motivations are different. Uh, Just like sometimes when we pray, we sometimes will be more urgent in our prayers because one of our kids is really sick. All right, and so we pray harder. That's not a bad thing. That's okay. All right, we're human beings. Uh, Now, if that's the only time you pray, now there's an issue. Okay, so that, so uh, again, we just want to, you know, take a step back and make sure we're understanding the whole situation as to what's going on so we don't think too much of ourselves but not too little of ourselves. We want to, we want to make sure that we, we have a good handle on that. Um, but when it comes to these things, the truths here that he's talking about do take on, I guess you would say, a different flavor um, when, uh, when you are facing that kind of persecution and there's a very real possibility That you and your family may be separated or there may be death or torture involved uh because you're a christian um yes
1: if if they threaten to uh kill your kids Mm. uh unless you renounce christ if you renounce christ they'll probably kill kids anyway
0: well that's true yeah and you're able to think that because you're older and you've seen a lot of life but when people are in their 20s they don't know they don't think all those things (laughs) but <laughs> well, I'm like you I've, I've lived a long time too Just not as long But you know same, I would under, I, I'm like yeah They're going to kill you anyway I told my daughter I said when someone says uh, Get in the car We're going to shoot you Make them shoot you <laughs> and, A there's a pretty good chance They won't Because they do not want A big scene there But anyway Yes sir uh, well, I know that uh, The goal Is to try to you know be a light yes you know to the a lost world and, mm-hmm.
1: and we don't want to see nobody uh, go to hell or in hell. Right. But in these countries, let's say uh, somebody that is uh saved mm-hmm. you know and that is a believer yeah. all right if they come up and they like you said say that um, if, if you don't renounce Christ or if you do, you know. If you don't, that we're going to kill your children. Well, yeah. It's. I know the captors. A lot. I've read stories and heard stories where captors were brought to Christ because you know. Sure, of, it happens. You know, people mm-hmm. that. Well, it's not a sin, or we don't. If we try to fight back, you know, to try to. Defend and uh-huh. you know and overcome, and, and we end up killing them. I mean, are we doing a disservice there? I mean, to, because if, if they die lost, they're
0: going to hell. True. It, it's a hard question to answer because self-defense is not sin. At the same time, when it's purely like in those situations, it's that this is purely religious persecution this is not they're robbing you because you're a Christian this is where they are going to kill you because you are a Christian um, I'm not sure we have we should be fighting back it's that's a hard one especially when you, when you get captured you know if you're captured you know it's it's that's tough because well, I know that uh, in most of the stories I've read um, no one's in a position to fight back so they can't you know what I mean God uh, would hold
1: us accountable if we were no. to overcome the situation and, uh, I don't think so. You know. you would hold
0: accountable no. No. If, if somebody went No, to I I kill we, I think we have the right to defend ourselves and mm-hmm. it's there's certain there's a lot of things in that that can be very convoluted. So it's it's hard to answer cuz it's it's not as straightforward as it sounds. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to get out of it, but I, we are allowed to defend ourselves. When it's, when, we are, when it's purely because we are believers, I think less so. Especially if we're captured. You know, because in that situation you may hurt people, but there's just there's no chance you're going to escape. And the most important thing is letting them know that I'm not afraid to die. Christ will take care of this. And
1: that we have the love of Christ. In mm-hmm. us. So maybe yeah. that
0: might... Yep. And it may not. But remember now, uh, the Bible says that to those who are being saved, we are, the, we are basically, we, have, we, we are like perfume. And to those who are condemned, we're the stench of death. So there are times that our witness like that will lead someone to become a believer. But there's also times when that situation seals their judgment. So, yeah, Question. What are you- Uh, he was speaking to them about, uh, they, were, they were under Roman occupation, and so there were times they were compelled to do things, and so, uh, you know, you have to look at the verse, look at the context, uh, but basically, that's what he means by that. He's not telling you to give in to an evil person, and go along with them. You know, there's none of that. Right. Anyway, uh, more next week. Yes, ma'am? Can I correct you on You can correct me on anything. Oh, one stomach, four parts. Well, there we go. That's okay. <laughs> I'm not a veterinarian. Either way, I'm a human being and I have one stomach and one part. So, <laughs> all right, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. And, and Lord, we know that as we speak on these things, we are grateful, Lord, that we are not undergoing physical persecution. We know, Father, there are many, many that are, and we do pray that you would strengthen them. We pray, Lord, you would encourage them. Father, we thank you for really the fight that they're in, and we thank you, Lord, for the testimonies of really thousands that we've heard of that are faithful to you in the face of incredible danger and, and, and death. Father, we look forward to meeting them one day. It would be an honor for us, Father, to meet those who have Uh, stared death in the face and uh, have not uh, succumbed to that. Father, we ask that you would help us to continue to grow as believers, that these truths that we're covering, understanding what Christ has done for us, that we will overcome sin in our lives, that we'll seek to live for you and bring glory and honor to your name. We ask, Lord, you would dismiss us with your blessing and, and keep us safe until we're able to gather together again. Use us, Father, as you see fit. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.